Welcome to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus, so we're seeking to apply His Word to what's happening here and now. So today, I am overjoyed to welcome my friend and someone I look up to very much, Dr. Vanessa Hawkins, to All Things. Vanessa and I have gotten to know one another over the past year through our roles speaking and writing with the Gospel Coalition. She has taught me so much in just one year, so I know she will teach you as well over the next half hour. Vanessa, thank you for taking time to be on All Things today. Oh, Jen, thank you so much for having me. I love that I can be here and talk to you, and we've done catching up as even in uh, car rides. <laughs> yes, we have. <laughs> Sharing Ubers. Yes, we have. God has done big things in car rides, and I'm grateful for that. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, well, let's start just so that the listeners know more about you. Can you tell us what you're doing right now in ministry? Tell us a little bit about your background, your education, what you're passionate about. Absolutely. So I am currently, uh, as of the last four months, living in New York City, um, and I am working at Redeemer Lincoln Square. My husband, Marcus, and I are new empty nesters, and so that's new and exciting in our world. But I grew up in Arkansas, lived there until I was about 19 when I went to St. Louis for an engineering internship. And the internship turned into a full-time employment opportunity, transferred to uh, St. Louis to live, and, and was there for 25 years. Um, finished school at WashU there um, in computer science. And while we were in St. Louis, got married to my childhood sweetheart, uh, Marcus. And together we have our three daughters, Kayla, Sydney, and Chelsea, who are all in college. Um, and our two dogs that we affect- affectionately call the boys, uh, <laughs> Prince Caspian and Mr. Tumnus. And uh, so and the, the rest of my 25 years there included homeschooling for seven years and just a bunch of other things, but, um, but also included finishing my MD of Ed Covenant Seminary, uh, my beloved Covenant Seminary. Mm-hmm. So um, our last five years, we've been in Augusta, Georgia, where I served as the director of women's ministry there and where Marcus continued in his same tech work, but he did it remotely um, from Georgia and all of our girls graduated high school there. And in the last three of those years, I got to complete my doctoral studies. So that's, that's some background. But passions, um, I think teaching is the work I get to do. It, it's, it's, I probably feel most alive teaching. Mm. Um, so that's the work I get to do. I'm recharged by nature. That's also a passion. I love mm. that. love to be under the stars. I love to look at the water. I love the mountains. Uh, and I am often refreshed by a nice cup of tea in the afternoon. So <laughs> those are some, some simple joys. Yes. Thank you. Okay. So yep. I know that the doctorate that you recently finished was in cultural apologetics, yes. which if I'm honest, I am super jealous that you have a doctorate in cultural apologetics and I've maybe set my eyes on doing that now. Tell us what cultural apologetics is and why, why it's helpful to you serving in the church. Oh, wow, Jen, you have such an apologetic mind. And so that makes me excited that you're wanting to do that, too. But while you're so you already have such a depth um, in apologetics. But uh, just the term uh, apologetics comes from the word apologia, which means a reasoned statement or argument. And it's the term we hear Peter using in First Peter 315 when he says to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you and to be 
willing to do it with gentleness and respect. And so that's where we get apologetics. But the one of the major goals of cultural apologetics in particular is to really consider how we uh, talk to others about Jesus in a way that is understood, particularly by those becoming further and further removed from Christianity's language and worldview. So traditional apologetics is more evidence-based, where you've got carefully crafted arguments to defend the, the, the truth claims of Scripture uh, and Christianity, and often utilizing you know, philosophical and highly intellectual sources. And, but cultural apologetics requires that we're kind of perpetual students of the culture, really, always seeking to understand the collective mindset of our cultural moment. And so, and in understanding that mindset, just being able to communicate well across chasms of difference and to give the, the gospel its best possible hearing by those uh, that we're talking to. And so that's, that's kind of the idea. Um, I, I like to think of um, cultural apologetics as, you know, still giving reason answers regarding the truth claims of Christianity um, as well, just, just like, um, you know, traditional apologetics does. But also, but doing it with respect and understanding in light of like what's being communicated broadly in culture, like, you know, through film or music or literature or art, for instance. And so I think it aids the gentleness part and the respect mm-hmm. part mm-hmm. of giving answers for our hope in Christ. And in doing so, hopefully removing some of those barriers to the gospel, receiving its best possible hearing. Yes, I love that. I feel like what I love about what you've answered and the degree that you've gotten and wanting to pursue that myself is just exactly what you've said. It allows us to be empathetic or compassionate to enter in to the context of those that we are conversing with and to speak in a way that's um, reasonable to the hearer where we're actually meeting them, not talking past each other, which is obviously something that happens so much in this age. Yes. Yeah. Very easily done. That definitely serves the church really well and serves the gospel really well. Okay, well, I want to talk to you today about something that you have spoken widely about, something that we have talked about, whether it's in an Uber ride or otherwise, yes, um, but yes. something that I know, you know, I have learned from you about and something I know that you have taught others about, but it's, it's the big topic that we're only going to scrape the surface, but I'm glad we're going to scrape it anyway, mm-hmm. of biblical justice. So I know that you could answer this in a few ways, but let's start out with you, Vanessa, providing us with a definition of biblical justice. Yeah. And so just at its its core, it's really about setting inequities right, really just as prescribed by, you know, biblical principles. Um, So biblical justice necessarily then operates under the premise that there is but one righteous judge. Whose, whose justice is perfect and wise, and that every other justice is a derived justice. So I, I think we've had to ascribe so many different labels to the word justice just in an effort to clarify what we mean by, quote unquote, our form of justice. Mm. So we talk about social justice versus biblical justice in an effort to say, I mean this and not that. and Or, you know, I want to be associated with this uh, school of thought and not that one. Um, those clarifications can be helpful, particularly, you know, when we're talking about terms that carry so much cultural baggage. But biblical justice is necessarily rooted in the love for God, in a love for God and neighbor. And sometimes we can think of justice as just these disconnected commandments when we're talking about scripture. 
about seeking justice and loving mercy, as we hear from the prophet Micah, or we think about it as justice rolling down like a mighty river, you know, um, as we hear from the prophet Amos. But more than isolated commandments, biblical justice is, is, is this mighty undercurrent connecting the whole of scripture. Uh, it flows from the heart of a loving God who is perfectly just. And so it's this powerful undercurrent that begins in Genesis with man's rebellion and with God vowing to set things right. And, and it goes all the way through Revelation where he restores all things and makes all things new, where he's setting things right. And so biblical justice is our partnership in that. It's our participating in that work of restoration and setting inequities right in our world. Hmm. That's how I think about it. Yeah. Our participation in the restoration, the story of restoration that we see in scripture. Yeah. You've given us a really strong definition and I think even just opened my eyes, as you've said, it's from beginning to end. We see it from the first pages of scripture and we see it throughout. So acknowledging that it is a strong theme of scripture, that it is tied to the heart of God, that it's Mm -hmm. integral to who we are as his people. Why then do we struggle with it so much? Um, And I know that that could be a really varied question as well, but you know, you and I serve the local church with our whole hearts. We love the local church. Mm -hmm. And yet you and I both see a blind spot here or contention here, division here, maybe apathy, you know, depending on the local church and the context, everything from great division to maybe an apathetic spirit towards justice. So if it's such a strong theme in scripture, what's going on in the American church? And I know that's a general question, but what do you think? Yeah. I don't know. I I think the American church isn't in a vacuum. Um, It's not isolated from culture, which means that those tensions that you're describing in the broader culture are are also tensions that we just feel palpably in the church as well. Um, We're not immune to it. And, you know, I I don't know. It's it's something about election years that I think heightens the intensity of Mm. these discussions. I, I actually think that a discussion on biblical justice is helpful here, though, because If we're talking about justice as is defined in the scriptures, God's disdain for injustice and oppression, as well as his hatred of violence towards the unborn and, and, you know, all of those issues that can divide us. Well, they lay side by side on the page of scripture. Um, The Lord doesn't make that distinction and priority um, that we do um, in in, in our uh, interactions with each other that often flow into the church uh, interactions as well. And so I think if we're reading with integrity, it forces us out of our political constructs, structs of conservatism and liberalism, and it just won't allow us to default to those separate camps, but forces us to see that the Lord doesn't abide by that false dichotomy of our making. Uh, But with justice and morality being, you know, justice and morality isn't separate from each other for him. Mm. It's you know, it's, it's all together. It's all intertwined. He cares about both, which extends to the sanctity of human life and all of its stages, all of its forms. Those are his priorities, justice towards all people for all of life. So, um, it, it reminded me of this Augustine quote, um, who, he once said this, that all injustice is loving your wealth and power more than others. And I, I, yeah, right. It just kind of stops you in your tracks a little bit, right? Yes. Um, 
to that end, I don't think we necessarily have a knowledge problem now, you know, notwithstanding, um, of course, biblical illiteracy is, you know, probably at its, at its height. Um, but I don't know that I believe that the issue that we have is that the church doesn't understand what the scriptures bear out with regard to justice. Mm. That may, maybe in part, you know, maybe in part, I don't know that there's any, um, one issue, but I don't know that that's the main issue. Um, I do think, however, that we have a love problem. Um, I, I think we have a worship problem. I think we have um, a, a disordered affections problem that gets magnified when we talk about justice and how to apply these biblical principles to the inequities of our culture. So, Yeah, boy, uh, you have given us a lot to think about. It's not necessarily a knowledge problem, but it's a love problem. Yeah, maybe quote, in part. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. in part is a knowledge problem. I think mm-hmm. there, there there definitely is some biblical illiteracy, but I think we've got enough to apply if we would just do what we know. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Because when I think about just personally, from my own perspective, in my own life, my own context, I typically know what is just in a given situation but I don't necessarily feel willing to lay my life down or my convenience or my yes. finances or my comfort down to pursue justice mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. context. I prioritize myself above the person that needs justice in that moment or the community or the population. You're right. And I think we all do it. And when justice is not this outflow of the love for God or of a love for God, it quickly becomes man-centered. Mm. And, and, and flawed and self-serving, but that's, yeah. So this might be sort of an explosive topic to bring up, but I'm just going to go for it. I, I feel like I see, and it might be my context, you know, I live in a suburban area, politically pretty conservative. Um, and then prior to that, you know, we lived overseas for so long. So it might, it could just be me, but I feel like what I see is a belaboring of political discourse or it's pursuing things like social justice or critical race theory or calling Mm -hmm. things woke or whatever. Mm -hmm. I see that kind of conversation happening in the church, in Christian schools, at Christian universities, just a lot of time, even hearings and board meetings and lawyers coming to the table. Right. Mm -hmm. And yet I don't feel like I hear a lot of discussion about biblical justice. Why (laughs) are we filling a void with these other things or is it just easier to talk about these other things? Why do we do that? Definitely easier to talk about those other things. Um, I I think critical race theory in particular is just so such a complicated system of thought. um, That's it's a boogeyman of our cultural moment and it's broadly not understood. I think broadly not understood Yet it wields so much power mm-hmm. to, to influence and incite fear, which means that people can throw the term around and just effectively shut down conversation and, and not be required to engage in any real self-reflection. And so I, I, to that end, I do think you're right. I think it, it's, it's easy for a, a good and robust conversation on biblical justice to miscarry to that. Yeah. Um, I think biblical justice just requires so much more of us. Mm. Um, mm, tell it, me more it, about it, that. Yeah. It, it, it necessarily assumes that God 
law is the authoritative seat of all justice and that it's not our preferences, that it's not where we've been harmed or where we've been injured. Um, and then in, you know, rightly supporting, subordinating our thoughts and, and what our desires to um, God's justice and then requiring us to love him and our neighbors, that's magnitudes harder. Than, than, than hiding behind some of the complex terms and, and um, these conversations of our day, dismissing uh, difficult discussions that will ultimately require us to change or sacrifice in some way. Mm-hmm. It's magnitudes harder uh, to, yes. to obey the, the, the mandates of biblical justice. Yes. So. Uh, I love what you just said, that it's tied to God's heart and God's law, not our preferences. Mm-hmm. And some of these political camps or partisan camps are directly linked to our preferences. They are platforms and parties and political leaders who give voice to our preferences, mm-hmm. not necessarily God's biblical justice. Right. So talk to me a little bit about that. How can we, how can I as a believer take some practical steps to maybe leave behind a partisan way of thinking or partisan politics and move toward the heart of God, move toward and move toward a more robust understanding of biblical justice or a robust living out of biblical justice. What can a listener do? Where can they begin making that transition? That's great. Um, well, you know, Jen, you know, I'm going to say that, um, if you're going to learn about biblical justice, man, um, it, you got to do that in scripture. You got to uh, spend some time in scripture. And I think um, the minor prophets in particular, or any of the prophets, um, just seeing their major themes of justice and how it just courses through the prophets is really compelling. Um, and, and it's convicting when you're really trying to understand the heart of God. Um, you have to, you, you have to see uh, his um, priority of justice if you're engaging with the scriptures at all in that way. And so mm-hmm. I would certainly say to um, spend time in, in, in scripture, understanding it in that way. Um, but also just at its base, knowing that justice really is based in love and mm-hmm. um, that love has a context. And so when um, the the lawyer or the um, the teacher of the law, as scripture calls it in Luke, uh, and the Good Samaritan, um, when he is told to love his neighbor, that he there's a context there, um, you know, and those you have access to in your spheres um, are your neighbors. Um, and I think we can be so overwhelmed by that because we think, okay, well, um, there's so much more that I know about and that I'm aware about just because of media and because of the news. And that it can just feel really overwhelming um, to ask the question, who is my neighbor and what do I have to, um, affect change in where, where do I enter into this conversation or where do I need to put my time and my energies and my treasure? Um, but you know, I, I say prayerfully considering before the Lord, where is it that I'm supposed to be spending my time, my energy, my treasure, and knowing that it's somewhere and knowing that I can't do everything, but I can do something Mm. and actually seeking that conviction of what is it that I should be putting my hands to. Mm -hmm. Um, The Lord is faithful to guide us in that because he desires for us to do that. 
um, to love our neighbor. And so, um, you know, being aware of what's going on around us. Sometimes it takes just a walking around your neighborhood and prayerfully considering where there's need or, you know, where there are things that you can, you have gifts that can affect change in. Mm -hmm. And so it's, and, and so that'll be different for everyone's context. And so, um, just being sensitive to and actually looking for opportunities to um, utilize your own resources and your own um, skills and energies and abilities to affect change in some of those areas of inequity that are in your context. So everybody has blind spots, um, yeah. but nobody thinks they do. <laughs> At least speaking for right. myself, you know, I would I love to think of myself as very objective and having no blind spots, but I know they are there. How do we know when we are pursuing our preferences over God's equity or God's heart for justice? What, what can help us know when we're guilty of that? Wow. That is, that is so good. And I think a community of believers is, is helpful for that, but also not just a community of believers, but people who are who have different experiences than you. So not just a group of people who all look like you, who have the same uh, experiences experiences as you, but wow, but having people, those, those chasms of cultural difference that we talked about, um, people uh, reaching across those chasms of cultural difference, bringing people, um, you know, who are so different, who don't vote like you or who don't look like you, um, we're just so much fuller representation of the body of Christ when we have that type of diversity, mm. but allowing people who are different. I, I always say proximity and permission, allowing them, pulling them close enough that they can speak into your life and to know that they have permission to do so. Mm. And you to them. Um, I think that's the type of community that we need that to, to help us to understand when we have those blinders. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, that is so good. And again, you're pointing to something that's harder and takes much more work mm-hmm. to develop relationships, to pursue proximity, to give permission to have that. I mean, I can think of, you know, an immediate response from my own heart. And I imagine hearts from the listeners too, is like, oh, my relationships aren't really that diverse. They're not diverse enough. I, that would take me, that would take a ton of time. I would have to maybe prioritize pursuing relationships across town or getting out of my neighborhood above and beyond my kid's soccer practice or my kid's play. Like what you're speaking to requires a lifestyle commitment and the prioritization of pursuing others maybe above and beyond our own comfort and convenience. And that's hard. It almost sounds like it almost sounds like the gospel. I mean, it is hard, (laughs) right? It's having some intentionality about where we, you know, live, work, and play, right? Mm. Um, There's this. There's a a book. um, Oh, I won't be able to think of his name right now. Um, But it's called "Is It Dignity" by Chris Arcade, I think, or Nate, or Chris Arnade. Okay. And Chris Arnade was a, um, and it's not a Christian book, but it is a great book to develop mm. a worldview of seeing and, and intentionalizing those who are not like you and those who, uh, you know, um, will, will certainly be suffering inequities um, in the in the broader culture, just in, um, you know, underserved. Um, Chris Arnade worked on Wall Street and was a professional 
that. Um, and he called himself as a person who was on the front row of society. And he began, instead of um, taking the subway home, he began walking home. Hmm. And he would walk through uh, just, I mean, it was that simple lifestyle change because he just had this intentionality about wanting to see. Um, and in wanting to see, um, he was able to come in contact and in proximity regularly with people who were nothing like him. And so for him, it was a simple commute change. It was a change of how he went from place to place. Um, for some people, it's um, spending time instead of in Starbucks, um, spending time uh, doing whatever you would be doing, reading or studying or, um, you know, at, at McDonald's instead of Starbucks. Yeah. You get a whole different crowd. Yeah, yeah um, that's good. You know, and so just some simple, you know, tweaks yeah. in our day um, with some intentionality and some prayer. Um you know, seeking to come in contact with those who are different from us um, in their walks of life and um, in their beliefs and in all of that. Um, the Lord honors those type of mm. desires. When we're, we're seeking to love our neighbors well, um, man, he is pleased to show us how to do that. Yes, that's good. That's good. May he make us willing to respond. You know, may we mm -hmm. be sensitive to his prompting and, and lay ourselves down. As Jesus says, you know, take up our cross, bear some affliction that we might draw near to others and pursue their goodness, even at our own expense. Well, let mm -hmm. me ask you this. Um, and then we'll, we'll close soon, not too much longer, but voting season is upon us. <laughs> and mm. so, and I've heard you say that biblical justice is political, but it's not partisan. And, um, I think that's so good and so helpful. It's harder. It's not, it's not so easy. We can't approach our ballots and just sort of put X's all the way down one column. Nope. Um, and I know that- It won't let us be lazy. It won't let us be lazy, will it? It won't. No. Yeah. So <laughs> give us a, a principle or two, you know, my ballot's in my office right now that I can mail in. How, how do I sit down with that in a way that prioritizes biblical justice? Wow. Um, one thing, we're called to pray for our leaders. And I would also say for that process of that we are to play in electing the leaders. Do you pray over your ballot? Do you ask the Lord to give you guidance and wisdom mm -hmm. and to convict your heart about who it is that you are choosing and putting into to government? Um, and so, mm -hmm. I, you know, I think that that is certainly a way to one, just rightly keep um, our priorities and our uh, our propensity towards difference and conflict to rightly subordinate that to the Lord. Yes. Um, and to remember that he is the righteous King and that he is our sovereign. And so to ask our sovereign, um, how we are to lean into this political process. And I think that that keeps our hearts soft towards each other. Oh yeah. Um, that is so helpful. That's yeah. good. I'm going to be praying. Okay. Final question, Vanessa, can you, close us out with just some gospel hope. I know you can, but zoom out from this conversation, even zoom out from this current cultural moment and remind us why justice matters, why it's good news, why we can ultimately have hope and not defeat or apathy when it comes to justice. Yeah. And I think my biggest encouragement with justice 
is that um, God really is making all things new. He really is making right everything that is inequity, everything that is wrong. He's making it right. And doing justice gives us the distinct privilege of participating in that work. And that's a beautiful work. Um, And so we can't consider the cross of Christ and his dying to satisfy God's righteous justice and not believe that justice doesn't matter to him. Um, Mm. There's no one that we see or run into throughout the day that's not made in his image. There's never been anyone we've seen that's not made in his image. And so celebrating that image um, in all people, particularly those that um, are suffering inequities or underserved, um, biblical justice is necessarily based in love Mm. and love for God, love for our neighbor. And so may the world know us by that love. Mm. Amen. Agreed. Thank you, Vanessa. You've given us some good and hard things to think about. And I'm going to be praying for my listeners and for myself that we would be able to apply that and to, um, again, like you said, pursue God's love rather than our own preferences. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jan, for having me. Good seeing you. You too. Well, thank you for listening to All Things with Jen Oshman, where we look at events and trends through a Christian lens. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So we're seeking to apply his word to what's happening here and now.